Trust in God and God will make your path straight and in all things and everything, lean on God for your understanding. Please be seated. Wow, what a powerful set of readings we have today. All the things that we as Christians will have to endure, will have to face when we say that we come in the name of Jesus Christ. And sometimes I wonder, having had such a great reception at St Matthew's and had such wonderful loving comments, whether I'm actually doing the right thing because if I'm coming in the name of Jesus Christ, there should be more agitation. I should, I should be making you all a bit more agitated and a bit more angry at me at different times, shouldn't I? Maybe not. Let's not go there. But this does remind us that when we are in the world, we have to be different to the world. We cannot partake in the world in the way that, that non-Christians do. We come in the name of Jesus and we come holding the Spirit of God in ourselves as the temples that we are. The temple, the physical temple, this building, all the things that we have could be knocked over. But Jesus says our eternal possession is what sits inside us. So what is your temple doing to guard that? What is, your, what is the way that you are living your life in Jesus Christ doing to nurture and keep that temple alive and keep the Spirit of God alive in you? We read this and then we read Thessalonians, a community that seems to be under threat and led away from the gospel. And our threats here at this time and place are the external world. To be a Christian, to go into a community and say, oh, yeah, what do you do? Oh, I'm a priest. And then all of a sudden you hear the crickets. It's so silent um, <laughs> that, that you hear crickets in the background um, making noises. And Jane often says, can you just say you love God instead? And, and so, so, But they're the sort of things that we face. We face these pressures of us being living as Christians but facing the world around us. And yet Thessalonians also talks about a community that from within is imploding, from within themselves are falling apart. And how many communities do we see that happening to? We're slowly, you know, people are living in anxiety, people are living in worry and sometimes the biggest threat to our communities isn't the external but the internal ourselves and how we keep ourselves and how we love each other we like we always like to think that we are a blessing to someone else but Paul speaks about the toxic interpretation of the gospel and where it leads to soulful death and we need to be wary and hold our temple and keep our temple strong so that it is always based on Jesus and that we can always testify to the power of the gospel in our life. The gospel tells us that people will come who are false messiahs, coming in the name of Jesus, saying that they know the will of God and the false messiahs will speak of the way we live during these in-between times, this time of Jesus's rising and going to heaven and the time of his return and coming back, back to the earth to restore all of creation around us. During these times, some promote fear and worry 
Some would lose care. Some would break that temple down and allow the stones of their own temple to fall over so that they don't care and they don't hold on to the eternal life and have an attitude of, well, whatever will happen, will happen. I'll just live my life in self-indulgence, self-settedness, because didn't Jesus die for me? So whatever I do, it doesn't really matter because the blood of Christ will wash over me. Sneaking off to fulfil your pleasures and fulfilments and not changing one thing, knowing that your Lord and Master has died for you by his love for all. The second, this second reading shows a community that is shaken and alarmed by how the people have, from the faith community, drawn each other away, taken each other away from eternal life. It's alarming Paul so much that he speaks to them in the name of Christ and is quite forceful and tells them not to associate with believers who would be false teachers or false believers. Those who would promote licentiousness, anger, worry, their own comforts and their own prosperity ahead of the prosperity of the gospel message and the comfort and care of others. This letter doesn't actually tell us what the issue is that people are dealing with today. They don't specify the date or the time. We don't actually know the hardships that are faced by the community. But it has urgent tones that point to an intense time of persecution weighing heavily on the community and causing conflict. In the face of this persecution and worry, Paul urges the Thessalonians not to panic and Paul rebukes them and redirects them to a gospel-based faith. We use the words of the gospel to encourage each other and energise each other's faith but this is an example of righteous rebuke and we also need to be wary of that and use that to help save the eternal souls of our brothers and sisters at different times. It is not unreasonable for us to speak to each other, for you to speak to me when you feel that I am off track in what I feel or do based on the gospel. I do agonise over the words that I say and Jane will know that I'll go through you know, a dozen drafts and sometimes have three different sermons and I go, which one, which one? Which one does God want me to say today? And these are the agonies we must all have and all share with each other. Jesus shares that he knows that his followers will be persecuted and attacked, condemned and killed. So the pressure that the Thessalonians are under has already been spoken about by God. They already know. Jesus has told them, you will be under this pressure. You will be in this pressure cooker of things putting pressure on your life and your faith and your relationships with each other. But when we bear the pressure, not just from the external side, but also from the internal side, we need to take, we need to take account of ourselves as a community. People will panic and worry about what is happening in the church. Jesus promised that perturbations will happen to those who listen to his words and live them out truly. And this was a message for those that were listening 
to the gospel for those in Thessalonica, for us here today. Jesus urges us all not to worry about what will happen to us in this world, but to constantly share the power of the gospel in our lives and to testify to Jesus as our Lord and Master. We cannot be like the Thessalonians and forget who our Lord and Master is and who we belong to, who we ultimately belong to. Our Lord is Jesus Christ and our greatest and deepest pleasure is that we have belonged to God and that we will be restored to God in communion forever and ever and ever. In the midst of these perturbations that consume the Thessalonian community, people are acting in ways that show they are in the world and of the world. Being a Christian has made not one iota of a difference to them. The letter notes that they are walking disorderly and living contrary to their traditions and that they did not obey, for, they did not obey the gospel. And from the earlier letter, the first letter, we also see that they were not leading quiet lives and they were butting into each other's affairs and choosing not to work and generally unruly as a community. Here today, they are called busybodies. And as we look at it in the Greek, it's not quite the, um, you know, the bewitched where you've got Mrs. Krantz looking out the window at what Samantha's doing with, with her witchcraft. It's not quite like they're going, Walter, look at what she's doing, right? It's not quite that busybody. In the Greek, it's more your body is busy, but for what? It's busy to, your body is being busy to live in the world and be of the world. But Jesus is asking us to live in the gospel and use our bodies to be busy, to testify. This is how God saved me. How did God save you? What did Jesus do in your life? That's the busybody that he wants. That's our, how he wants our bodies to be busy. The reading talks about those who are idle. False believers were asking well, the world is going to be destroyed, so why work? Why do anything? Why would we try and earn a living when there may be no tomorrow? In these moments, we see how easily people can start sharing ideas and then telling people what to do and yet show no influence of the gospel in their own lives. Jesus says, well, until he comes, we must actively share and testify to the gospel. We must look to all the ends of the earth to baptise people and bring them to God in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's what we do. So we can't be idle because we don't know when Jesus is coming. So the gospel is telling us to keep active and keep looking and keep seeking and keep speaking and keep sharing. They're the amazing things that God wants us to do. Where the Thessalonians are panicked about what was happening in their, their community, we might be panicking what is happening in our community. Here in, you know, in Glenroy, it's at um, Merlinston in, in the Diocese of Melbourne. Now I think we, we pick up the TMA just to count the churches that don't have priests because that's, you know, I was looking at someone reading and they're going, one, two, three, four, and I'm thinking, right, that's the first thing that you read today. So there is a panic, isn't there? It's not an unreasonable thing to say. 
We look to running big events to attract people's attention. And yet when we do attract their attention, we don't share the hardest parts of the gospel because, well, we want to be nice and we don't want to be confronting as a community. We want them to come here and have a a nice feel. And yet the gospel and every word that it says to us changes and perturbs every moment of our lives. We can't be still because the gospel tells us that we must live in Jesus. When we speak about this church, do we speak about the wonderful facilities, grounds and this amazing sound system that we're building? And I'm not trying to demean any of that. It's all wonderful and it's fantastic and it is a blessing for us to have. But should that be the first thing that we talk about? Or should we be talking about things like our community food bank, our book room, how it's available for people just to pick up a book and if you can't afford something, I'm sure Marie will, will say, well, the vicar's got said I can give it to you for free, you know? <laughs> or what about the outreach program that we have with the NEMDA, helping those who are unable to help themselves? And yet, while I have been here, I have heard people vilify the program that we do to support a NEMDA. I've heard, oh, that group, it's always causing us problems. If we only, if we only. But they're the least in our community and they should be the first on our minds and on our hearts. So that false teaching just can't survive, can it? Those false words need to start disappearing out of our rhetoric, out of, our, out of the way we speak about things. Our testimony and our gospel is not a strategy. It is a statement about our relationship with the Most High, Lord Jesus Christ, the one that died for us. We are called to have an energised faith in the tradition that we live as a community. And our tradition is not the candles, it's not the the things around us. Our tradition is that we believe in the grace of God And we share that with everyone first. Our tradition is that we release God's kingdom by helping the hungry, looking after the poor, giving homes to the homeless. That is our tradition. This is how we worship, but it's not our tradition. Because our tradition in the first in the, in the first instance with our early church fathers and brothers and sisters and mums was to have candles because we had them, we had services in tombs. So you had the whole place surrounded by candles so that you could actually see where you were. It was a practical thing. You had the, you had the thurible because some people were in, um, in tombs having services. So you had, to, you had to use the thurible to mask the smell of the dead people that were around you. So it was a practical thing. It wasn't a tradition. It was, well, we need light because if we go outside, they'll kill us. Let's go down, let's go into these catacombs, into the tombs and worship our Lord God. So we have to also have that practical aspect. What serves us practically in this community to reach out and to help the gospel be released into our community? We must always be looking for those opportunities.
as I look around at the things that are happening and the conversations with people that I am having, I can hear your panic, worry and anxiety. And And the biggest idea that I am dealing with and the most conversations I am dealing with is the longevity of the parish. How long can we go as a parish? When we read the TMA, we can see how many people, all the empty parishes, and we, think, and we start using that to feed our thoughts. Will there be enough priests to go around? How many people will worry about going back into modes where they are with locums, hovering, not being able to move forward, waiting for a licensed parish priest? There is nothing wrong with having those fears and they become amazing prayer points. We must pray for our parishes that are in need of priests. We must pray for those that are losing priests and and help them gain the word. But what I'm asking you to do, what I'm asking you to have a discipline around that the Thessalonians didn't have, is to acknowledge your fears and worries, but to say in the deepest part of you that my God, that your God, is bigger and greater and more powerful than any worry that you can have, than any anger issue you could have. That's what I'm asking you to put into your hearts. And when we all do that collectively, when we all do that as a parish and say, my God is bigger than any problem that I can have, then imagine the blessings that will be poured out on us. We're going to have problems come for us from God. We're going to have people knocking that are are lost and say, well, can you help me find a home? You know, we've opened up the food bank to release God's glory. Well, what's the next thing that God's going to bring to us? Homeless? Poor, hungry, lost. Once you open the door to, God's ki- to releasing God's kingdom, you're opening the door to chaos. And unless we ha- can say that God is bigger than all our problems, we won't be able to have a handle on that chaos. So I ask you to say that with me over the next week. As you w- wake up and you face something, just say God is bigger than any problem that I'm going to have today. And just see how that changes your mindset. As we read in the Gospel today, God will love us and he will not abandon us. And our eternal soul will be safe as long as the temple around you, as long as your temple that contains your spirit holds the Gospel and testifies to the Lord as your master and creator and redeemer. Amen.